introduce you to three of my really good friends here. This is this over here. This is Nolan. Nolan works, owns, and runs Midwest Movement here in Elkhorn. Uh, he's a chiropractor, but he's even more. He does functional rehab, as you can see right here. <laughs> Nolan helps me all the time, like keep my limbs working. That's pretty much what he does. It's awesome. This is Trevor. Trevor owns and runs One Gym here in Elkhorn. This is where I work out. Uh, Trevor's a fine, 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 fine trainer. He's an awesome trainer. This is uh, Scott Ruane. He runs and owns uh, Ruane Fitness and Nutrition, not in Elkhorn, but we don't hold that against him. We still love him. He's also a fantastic trainer. What I want you to know about these three is they're all fantastic at what they do. They might be some of the best at what they do. So anything I say from this point forward is all hypothetical, not necessarily true. But I wanted to use three examples of three different trainers, if you will, to kind of give you an idea of things to kind of compare against each other. So over here we got trainer one. Nolan is trainer one. Trainer one, you, you pay for your hour and you show up at his gym, right? But his gym is like, it's like all plush. And there's like couches everywhere. There's a big old like 60 inch TV that you sit down. And when you get there, he's got donuts for you. So that's awesome, right? And you sit down, he, he makes sure you're comfortable. He kind of rubs your feet as he asks you what you want to watch on Netflix. And so you spend that hour, it's awesome. You spend that hour like watching your favorite show, eating donuts while no one rubs your feet. Now, when you leave, you, you are not any better than you were when you got there. In fact, it might be a little worse, but you had a good time, you loved everything about it, and you feel good when you leave. That's trainer one. Trainer two, you walk in. Yeah, exactly. Trainer two is more like a drill sergeant, if you will. He doesn't care about you at all. Like, he knows everything. He knows how to do everything. And when you come in, like, he doesn't want to know your name. He doesn't want to know anything about you. He's just going to push you. And you're going to work out so hard, and you're going to hate every second of it. Everything's going to hurt. The whole week afterwards, you're going to be in pain. It's going to be awful. You might be a small step better, but you hate it. You don't ever want to do it again. That's trainer two. Trainer three. Now, trainer three, when you show up, man, he's, he's really confident. He's good at what he does. But he doesn't try and pretend like he knows everything. Like, he spends time learning and, and growing and, and, and bettering himself. And when you get there, like, you know he cares about you because the first thing he says is, hey, is there, do you have anything going on, any injuries, anything that I can be aware of so that I can kind of adjust your workout? to make it best for you. And then when you work out, like, they're hard, right? Like, I've worked out with Scott. They're hard workouts. Like, they're going to push you. They're not all going to feel good. But when you're done, when you're done, you know that you're a little bit closer to who you want to be, right? This is trainer three. And so which one are you going to choose? You're spending the money. <laughs> you're spending your time, which is extremely valuable. Which, which one are you going to choose? That's the question I want you to ponder for the next few minutes. And I've asked them to stand up here for the rest of my message to be an example. If... No, I'm just kidding. All right, let's give it up for these guys. Thank you. I'll jump back to that in just a second. But this past Monday, I happened to be driving through Elkhorn. I was heading to Elkhorn High School to pick up my son from baseball practice. And I had a few minutes. It was kind of the end of the work day. And so I decided to stop in at my wife's office. She works at Cornerstone Caregiving here in Elkhorn as well. So I stopped in there. And, and it wasn't long after walking in that I realized that was a terrible, terrible idea. Because the people that she works with who also attend Relevant, who are part of our church, as soon as I walked in, they go, hey, Matt, you've got some explaining to do because so many people hate your series. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay. I mean, that's nice. Uh, if you've ever wondered if I'm, I'm, like, getting a big head from all the preaching I'm doing, just be rest assured there's plenty of people making sure that never happens. So <laughs> there's plenty of those people. And so after kind of pulling myself out of the fetal position and wiping tears from my eyes, I said, hey, thank you for that. Um, would you mind explaining a, a touch? 
And, and so they go into kind of explaining what they meant by that. And don't worry, nobody was being mean. They, they just had some things that they didn't like about my series. Not, not necessarily my preaching, but about the content. And so in the end, I realized, like, that there's something unintended about this series. Something that I, I had no thoughts would actually take place. In fact, I thought this series would be all about, like, making you guys feel good about who you are. And, and sometimes what I hadn't realized is that sometimes when you look in the mirror... When you really look in the mirror and you're confronted with who you really are, when you're confronted with what you really are, it's, it's uncomfortable. It, it doesn't feel good. Nearly every time an ideology that you've held for so long, when that gets challenged, it's really tough. And I'm well aware of that. I, I totally get it. It's the same for me. But here's why I did this comparison up here just a minute ago. I want you guys to be aware and know that myself, Ronnie, anybody who stands on this stage on Sunday mornings, we want to be trainer three. We want to be trainer three because we care about you. Because whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, or whether you're just kind of here checking this whole thing out, like you're still completely unsure about what you think of this whole Jesus thing, first off, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're watching. In fact, this, this whole thing was kind of built for you. We love you. We're so glad you're here, but you know it. I know it. Your time is too valuable. There's so many other things you could be doing. Why, why waste it? Why would you come take an hour of your day to sit and listen to me or to anyone else kind of tickle your ears with motivational sayings that would leave you fat and happy so that, so that you leave here just feeling great about yourself all the time and, and just saying all the things that you already think to be true? Someone someone who would simply affirm everything that you already believe and, and never really push you to move towards the person that God created you to be. If we were to do that, we would be feeding into the world's identity framework that we've kind of been discussing over the past couple weeks. The, if you remember, the look in, like, hey, what is it inside of me? What, which desire is it that right now that I want to grab hold of this one specifically and I want to hold it on high and this is my identity, this is my personhood, this is who I am. And then I'm going to look around. I'm going to look around and find the group of people that will affirm this in me. I'm going to find the people who will say that this is right and good and allow me to live out the desires that I want to live. Those are my community. Those are my people. And then when I'm left wanting but I'm still left needing something else. I'm, I'm simply going to find a spirituality that I can sprinkle on top of what I already believe to be true. That would leave us simply being the seasoning for you, simply being the salt and the pepper for you. We would be trainer number one. And so I just, I want to be really upfront with you. I don't want you to waste your time. If you're looking for trainer one, they're out there. <laughs> if you're looking for trainer one, you can find them. But I want you to know you're not going to find it here. You're not going to find it here because we love you. We love you and we're willing to push you. But, but I don't think you're looking for trainer one. I honestly believe in the depths of my heart that, that you want to be everything that God created you to be. You may not use those words yet. If you're not following Jesus, that's certainly not the words you would choose to use yet. But I believe that's what you really want. So I want you to think, like, who are you? Who are you? Well, well we've kind of used these layers over the past few weeks. The first one's simple. You remember probably. You're a human being. Congratulations. You got that one right. Like, you're created in the image of God. It's universal. 
Uh, everybody across the board, every one of you in here, every one of you watching online, he loves you. And he loves you so much. He loves you so much that even though our rebellion against God fractured everything, even though our sin fractured everything he intended for this world from the farthest reaches of the cosmos all the way down to the cellular level completely fractured by sin entering into our world. But God, because of his great love for you and his great love for me, he didn't come and destroy it all. He didn't come and wipe the slate clean. No, he decided to pursue his people. By grace, he gave us a way back to him by sending, well, by sending himself. By sending himself in the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. It's, it's creator God coming as created, and he comes and does what you and I could never do. He comes and does what you and I could never do, and he lives the perfect life, and then he's crucified and murdered on a cross, and on that cross, which if, if you've ever been unclear, on that cross is Jesus absorbing all the wrath, all the right, just wrath towards those who are in rebellion against God, and he absorbs it completely. He absorbs it completely, and we know that because he was resurrected on the third day. If Jesus was not resurrected, then we are still in our sin, and all of this is useless. But since Jesus has been resurrected, it changes everything. And we are free, and our bill has been paid for those who have put our faith in him by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. That's kind of this high-level narrative arc of the gospel of Jesus, but it's what we do with that gospel. It's what we choose to do with that gospel that determines the second level of our identity, and that's our general identity. You've simply either accepted that the wrath of God due to you because of your rebellion and violation of sin against God was absorbed by Jesus on the cross. And you've accepted that by asking him to forgive you, by asking him to lead you, and now you live as a child of God, or you have not yet. You either have, have done it, you've either said, I, I have thrown yourself on the mercy of Jesus and this is who I am, and now you live as a child of God, or, as Paul tells us, remember, I didn't say it, I didn't make it up, we choose to live as a child of wrath. And all I'm saying in that is you're choosing to live as a child who is worthy of wrath because you've choos chosen not to follow him. And it's what we do with either one of these. That kind of determines our third level, which is the specific identity. Because if we have put our faith in Jesus, there are some things about us. There are some things about who we are, things about our identity that are just true for us. The first one we looked at last week, that you are justified. This idea that you and I are sinners, that the law and the prophets, which I got to move this, I'm not going to get back to it. The law and the prophets, which is really just our Old Testament, right? The first half of our scriptures, they, they attest to the fact that we are not good people. If you remember last week, we kind of did the Ten Commandments test. Do you remember what you scored on that test? Anybody? Yeah. You got a zero. I got a zero. We all got zeros. Zero out of ten. All of humanity for all of time fails and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the law and the prophets are there to show us. And yet in the resurrection of Jesus, by grace, through faith alone, we are justified before a holy God. So that it's not my family lineage. It's not the fact that I grew up or I was born into a family who called themselves Christians that makes me a follower of Jesus. It's not that I grew up going to church and I got baptized when I was eight years old that makes me a follower of Jesus. 
It's, it's, it's nothing in and of ourselves. It's nothing in and of ourselves that justifies us. It's a free gift of God and God alone. And we talked about the fact that by the mercy of God, by the mercy of God, we're all going to hit this crossroads where we're going to be confronted with the very stark reality that we're not who we thought we were, that we're not what we thought we were. And in that moment, we're either going to work to try and justify ourselves by some sort of moral standard, a moral standard that we've created, by the way. Let me elaborate on that idea just a bit. I'm not saying that your daddy, when compared to other deadbeat dads, that he's not awesome, that he doesn't rise far above those guys. I'm not saying your mama, who is loving and compassionate and caring and makes the best chocolate chip cookies, I'm not saying she's not awesome. I'm just saying we don't get to determine the standard. I'm saying that the requirement for one day standing in the presence of a perfect God is perfection. And so you have a choice. You can, you can either live a perfect life. That's an option for you. And you can try and justify yourself through that perfection. Or, or you can throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus, understanding that we are not in our essence a good person. At least not according to his standards. At least not in comparison to the goodness and the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus. And it's those who throw themselves on the mercy of Jesus who actually receive mercy, who actually receive grace and a new life, who, whose slate has been wiped clean. And now, somehow, we get to stand before a holy God and he sees us as clean and pure and holy and perfect. Now that's justification. This week we're going to kind of turn that big old diamond that I talked about last week, the, the, the diamond of the gospel, and we're going to look at it from another angle. And th this angle this week is you are a new creation. If you have any background in church at all, uh, it doesn't even have to be much, you know today's verse. You know today's passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Man, that's bumper sticker stuff right there. Like, that's coffee mug theology. Like, we know that one. That's our verse. But I wonder, like, if we don't fully understand the gospel, if we don't fully understand all that the gospel means for us, this verse might be doing a little bit more damage than good for us. See, I actually think for us to fully understand 2 Corinthians 5, we can't fully understand it without zooming out and taking a look at eschatology. Eschatology is just a big word for the end times, how it all ends, how this all falls apart. And I know some of you all are training like it's going to be a zombie apocalypse, but you're going to be wildly disappointed. Like, I appreciate all the work you're doing with the, the dried food and the cans and stuff, but you're probably just going to be disappointed. Uh, it's important for us to understand how King Jesus reigns and rules when this is all said and done. So that we can understand this passage in its fullness and in all of its weight. Otherwise, we're going to moralize this verse, and it's going to rob us of the joy that it's meant to bring us. Tell me that we're not already guilty of doing some of that, that this idea of new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, navel-gazing at our own morality, looking at how good we are. Well, the Bible is just telling such a bigger story than you. It's telling a bigger story than you. Christ has come not just to redeem men and women, although that is very much what he's doing, but to redeem all things. He has come to make all things new. See, Paul says in the letter to the Colossians that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. 
visible, invisible, above, below, even nature itself will one day finally be set free from its own decay. <laughs> you see, most of us have an eschatology that's more informed by Tom and Jerry than by the book, right? Like, we have an idea of what it means to die and go to heaven based on a cartoon. We think, like, we die and our spirit kind of floats up to a white cloud. We get our harp and we just play the harp all day. Like, that's our idea of how it all ends. And yet Scripture, the writers of Scripture know nothing of that. The writers of Scripture on repeat from Genesis to Revelation speak of a literal, physical place where those who have placed their faith in Jesus will dwell with him in an embodied form forever. In just about a year from now, I'm actually doing a series on heaven, so hold tight, it's coming. But for right now, what we need to know is, is just that, that Christ is making all things new starting now, starting with you, starting with me. And this is not so that things can go back to the way they used to be, but how they were always supposed to be. And you becoming a new creation is not that you become a better version of who you already are, but you become who you were always created to be. So let's look at our passage together. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. See, right at the very beginning, we can see this idea that has a little bit more to do. It's a little bit more tied to last week in justification. See, Paul is saying there was this time. There was this time that we kind of had these fleshly, worldly goggles on. And we couldn't, we couldn't see everything the way God intended for us to see. And so we evaluated our own goodness and our own righteousness based on some sort of moral code that we created. A fleshly, worldly worldview that, that allows us to decide what is good and what is right. But that is no longer so. He goes on. This is our verse that we just talked about. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We'll come back to that idea in just a bit. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, when this verse is talking about being a new creation, it's really kind of talking about three different things. Three different things are happening. The first one is this, we're given a new heart. And then we're given a new mind. And then a new identity. Let's go ahead and take them one at a time, a new heart. When I, when I say becoming a new creation means you receive a new heart, I'm talking about this. I'm talking about inside-out transformation, not outside-in moral conformity. When I'm talking about being given a new heart, when I'm talking about things changing inside of you, I'm talking about inside-out transformation, not outside-in moral conformity, not pressures from the outside world causing us to behavioral modification, to change our behavior. You guys with me on that? I don't believe you. No, it's all right. It's all right. I'll give you a shot. Let me show you. Ezekiel says this, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Here it is. I, I really think this is kind of the crux of maybe some of the main issues 
that, that I think people are having with some of this series. And I really hope, because this is so important, I really hope this kind of unlocks some things for you, some concepts and some ideas over this past few weeks. Here's the key. God is after your heart. He's after your heart. He's not after moral conformity. He's not after behavioral modifications. He's not after good people. He's after your heart. And with this new heart, this new heart allows me to love God. It allows me to love Jesus. And out of this new heart, there's a connection that comes primarily vertical, that then I'm transformed horizontally. I wonder, how, how many of you put your faith in Jesus a little bit later in life and you remember that first year? Anybody? A little bit later? Well, then maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. I can tell you story after story of people who put their faith in Jesus a little bit later in life, a little bit more water under the bridge, a little bit more experience, if you will. And they came to know Jesus, and they fell madly in love with him for what he did for them. And they still lived a train wreck of a life. Because they didn't know yet. And so the question is, is it possible for me to have a new heart? Is it possible for me to be a new creation and have a deep love for Jesus and still struggle with lust? Is it possible for me to have a new heart and love Jesus with all that I am and still struggle with anger so much that makes me want to throat punch people? Well, yes. It's an easy answer. Yes, absolutely yes it is. But it's that love for Jesus. It's that love for Jesus that over time will bring conviction to your soul. And it will lead you out of the captivity that you find yourself in. It's not the other way around. It's not, I become aware of my issue with lust, I become aware of my issue with anger, and so I'm going to spend all my energy and all my time trying to fix this and make this better, and then I can love Jesus. No, it's affection for Jesus. It's a vertical affection for Jesus that starts to make right the horizontal damage that a break in our relationship with him causes. And that's why some of us are still so enslaved. We feel like we're doing all the right things. I mean, you're here. You're here today, and you might even be a part of a small group. And you feel so enslaved, but, but God wants your heart. You're putting so much effort into doing, but are you putting energy into stirring your affections for him, into delighting in him, into growing your love for Jesus? Or is all your energy, all your white-knuckle discipline solely focused on trying to clean yourself up at best, you'll smear it. You'll never get it off. But the new heart just goes, what? You love me? You love me with all of this? It's the new heart. The new heart isn't no longer going to do bad things. The new heart is, I can see him. I can see him. I, I used to regard him a different way, like, I, did, I, I looked at him, there was nothing beautiful or great about Jesus, but now, now I've understood his love for me. And, and I have belief in the fact that he's, he died for me and the gospel is true for me and I've been saved and now there's nothing more beautiful than him. And it's that affection for Jesus that begins to heal and drive out the horizontal brokenness in your life. You'll never fix horizontal brokenness and connect vertically. You'll connect vertically, and over time, that connection will drive out horizontal brokenness. 
which is why sometimes it's not your marriage that's broken. It's your relationship with God. And if you would connect with God and grow your affections for him and your love for him, you'd stop expecting your spouse to be something they were never meant to be. I don't, I don't know everybody in the room. I don't need to know everybody in the room. But I know your greatest need, my greatest need, is an ever-increasing affection and love for Jesus that will grow and flow for all of time. That's a new heart. But we're not just given a new heart. We're actually also given a new mind. Here's what it says to a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. It's hostile towards God, and it cannot submit to his law. So I'm given a new heart. That's the moment of justification. At that moment, throwing myself on the mercy of Jesus. My testimony is not that I saved myself. My testimony is not that I cleaned myself up and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I made it all work. I realized, I realized I'd sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and I threw myself on his mercy alone, on the mercy of Jesus, and then I'm given a clean slate. That by grace through faith alone, I'm given a heart that loves Jesus. And then he starts to shift my mindset. And the mindset is to lift up my face from the brokenness and the wickedness of this world to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him alone. So that my confidence then at that point, my confidence is no longer swayed by the ups and downs of this life. It's locked in to the rule and the reign of Jesus that I love. And an understanding that, that whatever comes my way, that whatever comes my way, whether joy or sorrow, that somehow it made it through, through his hand. That no matter what I experience in my life, that the Jesus that I love and that loves me, I can know with all confidence that it made, it way, made its way through his hand to me. That's where my confidence lies. And so we're given a new mind. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, think on these things. This is the way Paul would say it. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord that my mindset isn't staring in the mirror at my own failures. Staring in the mirror at my own brokenness, but locked into him and his completed good work in my life, that's a new mind. That's a shifting of my mindset. So we're given a new heart. Our affections for Jesus, they grow. And then we're given a new mind and we're throwing fuel on the fire of our affections for him, leading to ultimately our new identity. And I'm telling you, if I was going to throw blows with the devil someday, this, this would be my verse. It was actually on screen during worship. It's Galatians 2. 20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the new identity. This is what can never be taken from me. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you, if you put your faith in him, this is what can never be taken from you. Everything else can. I mean, my wife, she's human. I'm human. My kids are human. I, I'm human. If I'm trying to, to identify myself primarily as Holly's husband or my kid's dad or your pastor, it's all so fragile. 
I mean, what's going to happen to my identity if all the I am fill in the blanks are taken from me? Well, this can't be, this cannot be taken from me. And then how are you going to shame me? How, how are you going to shame me? All the people who knew me before I followed Jesus, all the people who were around me when I did some stupid stuff, what are they going to do to shame me? They're going to be like, hey, remember that time? Uh, yeah, I remember that time. Aren't you glad that guy's dead? <laughs> Don't worry about that because that guy's gone. Man, I can't believe you used to. Yeah, I know. I know, right? But that guy's been crucified with Christ. This guy's not that guy. And so now this guy, this guy, he is still a mess. I'm never not going to be a mess. I gave up on that idea a long time ago. But now, now my identity, when I hear that voice in my head, that accusing voice of shame and guilt, the voice that would make me feel as though I should hide from Jesus instead of run after him, this is, this is the verse. This is, this is my weapon. I, I'm happy to run towards Jesus because all that was gross about me all that was unlovely and unlovable about me was nailed to the cross of Christ so that now my identity is firm and solid in him. And here, here's what's even crazier. From there, I, I am a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. And then Paul uses two phrases to kind of describe who we are. And it, and it really should blow your mind. He uses the phrase minister of reconciliation. Which means that now, now I get to say, hey, hey, you also. You also can be reconciled vertically so that horizontally you actually stand a chance. This is for you too. This isn't an exclusionary gospel. It's available for all. You don't have to be so tired from trying to do so much. You don't have to keep trying to tip the scales that don't even exist in your favor. In fact, this is one of the reasons some people were not liking some of the things that I was saying before. They kind of felt like that some of what I was saying was going to be weaponized against people who don't know Jesus yet, and that couldn't be further from the truth. This is what this is. I get to say to you, you too. Like, I'm not trying to hold on to this for myself. I'm not saying it's only for special people. It's for everybody. That you too can fling yourself on the same mercy that I got to throw myself on and experiencing the same transforming work in your life that I got to experience that only he can do. I get to say that to everybody. And as he does his work, I become an ambassador. But not an ambassador for this broken place. I get to be an ambassador for the place to come. And then as an ambassador, this blows my mind, that God would make his appeal through me. What? That somehow, some way, on behalf of Jesus himself, it's my job to implore you. It's my job to beg and to plead with you to be reconciled before a holy God. That, that should blow your mind as a follower of Jesus, that you've been given a task like that. And so let me ask you this question as we wrap up. Do you have any affection for Jesus at all? Do you have any affection for Jesus. I'm not asking the degree of your affection because that's a dumb game to play. Like I've had seasons in my life where I've kind of felt like the Holy Spirit's waking me up in the morning, asking me if I want to hang out. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I want to hang out. And then I've had seasons where it's like, 
Where'd you go? What is this? What is going on here? Help me understand. I feel like my prayers are hitting the roof. Anyone been there? Like, it's dry and it's dark and it's dusty and it feels terrible. So I'm not asking how hot it's burning for you right now. I'm just saying, do you have one at all? Do you have affections for Jesus at all? Do you have a desire to follow him? Do you hate your sin and your brokenness? Do you you hate the things inside of you that keep you separated from him, that keep you from being in right relationship with him? Do you hate the distance you feel between you and God? Listen, this is, this might be hard. Um, this, is, this is like trainer three kind of stuff, if you will. But if you don't have affection for Jesus and you have no desire to follow him, you have no intention of following his leading and you don't care about your sin, then you should probably stop calling yourself a follower of Jesus. Because I, I don't know by what metric you're going. And here's the, here's the thing for those of you that are followers of Jesus that feel kind of in that dark and dusty place. Here's the beautiful thing. Even if it's a little smoldering wick, like you, like you can't even see the red anymore, but you still see the smoke. Well, Scripture tells us God will never snuff out a smoldering wick. Like, in fact, God's going to work to fan that thing back into flame. Maybe... Maybe you're a raging inferno and you're just annoying people, you know, with your love for Jesus right now. It's awesome. It's a good place to be. Here's the invitation for all of us. The good news of the gospel is that any and all are welcome to come. In fact, my role here today is a lot like Paul's was in the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. I'm trying to implore you. I'm trying to plead with you, be reconciled to God. You will not fix anything horizontally until you're reconciled vertically. The good news is he's made a way for that to happen. And that way goes back to what we covered last week, where we're justified, we're we're made right by throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. Rather than looking for all the reasons why we're good on our own, stacking up our own trophies, our own good works. And in that moment, when you throw yourself on his mercy... And you ask him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. In that moment, you are a new creation. Would you pray with me? I just want to take a moment for those of you who have yet to make the decision to follow Jesus. Again, I'm so, so grateful you're here. Please keep coming. But if in this moment you're feeling anything that even resembles a desire to believe, I want you to know... That's not coming from you. We do not muster up our own belief. God is giving that to you. And so my, what I'm pleading with you for this morning is that you would grab hold of that, that you would take that small step of faith, that he might grow that in you. And you can experience this justification that we're talking about. You can experience this rightness before God by simply stating the fact Jesus, I know you love me. And then praying, Jesus, 
I know I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? And would you be the leader of my life from this day forward? God, I'm so grateful for the truth. I'm grateful for the understanding that I I can never do this on my own. Just so tired of trying to do it myself. And God, I know I, I don't understand everything. There's some things that are confusing to me, some questions that I have, things that just don't make a lot of sense to me, but I have so much trust in you, so much belief that you love me, and it's because of that love for me that, that, that I do anything I do to try and serve you. It's not the other way around. God, would you be with those that know you in the room today, that, that, that they would walk out of here better prepared to live more like you and for you, that those watching online today, that they would be stirred in this moment to live their lives more in tune with your direction and your guiding. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.